Hey guys, my name is Dom, and we want to welcome you to the Thrive Student Ministries podcast. Thrive is an MBSF college ministry on the campus of the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. At Thrive, we empower students to engage in their relationship with God through mentorship, friendship, and the discovery of their purpose. For more information on our gathering times, including our events, small groups, and weekly worship, visit us at thriveuark.com or follow us on our social medias at thriveuark. This week, Pastor Jack kicks off a series for a semester entitled, For the Glory of God. I will, um, I guess, echo Dom and just saying that, like, it's exciting to, to be able to be here. And even though, like, it's, there's a lot of strangeness, right, um, within some of it, because we got, whether it's, it's COVID-related or whether it's the fact that, like, we're spread out like Baptists, um, you know, like everybody's kind of like, you know, trying to push back and all that kind of stuff. Um, the fact that we had to move here tonight, um, there's a part of me that I kind of would like to just kind of come down there with you, but I'll stay up here. Um, so we'll stay in the, stay in the light so that I can read and all that kind of thing. Uh, but it is, it is kind of an interesting time period. You guys know that. Uh, I, I got some scripture I want to read to you. We got a, a series in this, this next, this next few weeks that I want us to go over. Uh, there's a lot to be said and a lot, to, a lot of things I like to, to talk to, especially freshmen, those of you who come in, to be able to just some, some words to say to you. And, and, and they all kind of stem around um, a lot of the idea that, like, why are you here, right? And a lot of people, and not necessarily Pathway, like in this building tonight, but like the idea of like, why did you come to college or what's going to happen? And I've had a couple conversations with at least a couple of you freshmen um, that just kind of, just that idea of like, college and how you can leverage college, how it's an important time, how it's a, it's an exciting time period uh, for anybody really in that age range of the 18 to kind of 21 years old, uh, for you to just kind of think about like, what are you going to do? Who are you going to be? But then also you begin to ask the spiritual questions of like, who am I going to follow? And, and I've said this to, to many of you already that it doesn't really matter where you came from, right? Um, for some of you, you came from a Christian home where like this is kind of all you've known is the church atmosphere and some of you have come from you know you didn't you weren't raised in a, in a Christian home and many of you've got friends that are kind of across the board that same way and the beautiful thing about this stage in life and the difficult thing about this stage of life is now you have to decide who you are what you're going to do how you're going to live and in many ways you're trying to figure that out right like not just spiritually but like what are you going to do for your occupation what are you going to do for uh, schooling how are you going to handle your money uh, all kinds of different things you now get to start beginning to, to formulate and decide what does it look like for me? And so what we get an opportunity to do with here and what I get an opportunity to walk with many of you through and, and other people uh, is an opportunity to think about within Christianity or within the following of God, like what is that going to look like? And I know that every one of you, you're like on a different part of that journey. And, and I would even say that some of you who are been raised right around church around Christianity you know all the terms but one of my passions has kind of developed into especially working with college students that's the kind of the way I grew up um, but it's to try to get you to, to think a little deeper or to begin thinking about what does it actually look like and so with what we're going in the next few weeks uh, I, I just want to I want to share with you uh, some some scripture and then we're going to go somewhere that, that many of you may have heard of before but, I, but it's one of those pieces that it's kind of a, a you, you can't miss as far as where we're going to spend the, the main part of our text. 
And so uh, where we're going to start at, though, is maybe somewhere a little bit different. In Jeremiah 8, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll have it on the screen. I, I, I'd suggest, though, follow along like on your phone, uh, pull out the Bible app or pull out um, your Bible. Jeremiah 8 is where we're going to start off. And the book of Jeremiah is an interesting one. There's a couple ones, a couple pieces of the book right there just for context sake. Uh, so you kind of know what's going on, right? Old Testament, earlier part of the Bible. Uh, if you've never read through like the Old Testament in like kind of a speedier version, like not just like walk through slowly, but, but kind of read through it quicker. Um, if you've never done that, one of the things you'll, you'll pick up on, and, and some of you may have already picked up on this trend, but you have this, this nation um, called Israel, who God's chosen people. He's going to display who he is, his faithfulness, all that kind of stuff. He's going to display to them who he is and how he works kind of in and through them show the rest of the world. The thing about Israel, though, and the thing that we learn from them is that they'll spend time of prosperity where they follow after God. They trust in Him. He, he does amazing things and amazing works through Him, does some miracles in different instances um, through this group of people. And then they have seasons where they revert back and they, they, they act like they're far from God. And so it's, it's interesting kind of ebb and flow as you read through the Old Testament. And as a matter of fact, I found myself, my, my wife and I talked about this a couple different times, but... But we, I found myself reading through and just thinking, like, oh, my gosh, like, guys, like, how, did, how does this happen so quickly in some cases? In some cases, it's, it's a generation or two, right? Um, but, but they have, like, just a crazy amount and some awesome stories that happen and a crazy amount of success and then a huge decline when they don't follow him. And this is one of those time periods in Jeremiah where they're, they're, they're not following him. They've had some great things happen, and then, and then they've chosen to walk away from God. And so this is build up into Jeremiah 8, uh, that, that just different things are happening. And, and Jeremiah is a prophet during the time period, and he's kind of, he's, he's writing this stuff down. Uh, you see this throughout the Old Testament a couple different places. One of the other books that I think about, uh, that's, that if, man, if you're looking for just kind of an interesting read, if you've never walked through it yourself, I, I think it took more life whenever I read it for the first time in the message, the first couple chapters of like a book like Hosea, um, where this prophet marries... You know, I mean, you guys, I like talking to college students because then I don't have to watch my language and my children have left, so that's good. Uh, but, but, you know, he marries a whore. And it's like, whoa, hold on. And, and God asked him to, to do that and then, and then write about it. And, of course, he doesn't know what he's getting into when he does it because, you know, he marries her and she brings her home and she stops. But then she goes back and, and it's just this crazy, messed up situation. But then God writes, I mean, he writes about it, Hosea, and, and kind of talks about, well, this is what it looks like when my people don't follow me. This is what happens, this is how it feels when the people that I have provided for, taken care of, watched over, done so many things for, it would be similar. The pain that Hosea would feel. And so we see that a couple different times in the Old Testament, and this is kind of one of those pieces too, where Jeremiah, he's watching the people decline, he's watching them begin to serve and follow other gods, he's watching them erect... Um, just different, all kinds of, of, of pagan religions and, and artifacts and things like that where they, they look around and they, they kind of want what the other nations have around them. And his heart is broken in verse 18 is where we go. And so Jeremiah says this. He says, My grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. Listen to the weeping of my people and it can be heard all across the land. Has the Lord abandoned Jerusalem? The people ask. Is there... Is her king no longer there? Oh, why have they provoked my anger? 
with their carved idols and their worthless foreign gods, says the Lord. The harvest is finished. The summer is gone, the people cry, yet we are not saved. I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and am overcome with grief. Is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? And so that idea of Jeremiah just saying, like, is there, like, where's, where's the healing? Where, where's the medicine? Where's the physician? Like, we're in ruins. We have problems. We got issues. And, and where's the answer? What's, like, like, please, somebody, somebody give us something. God, where are you? Have you left? Have you forsaken us? Are, we, are you gone? You know, wounds are an interesting thing, right? Because I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but like, what's the first reaction? I may have to like actually call on some of you guys because, you know, get some interaction from you. But uh, for now, I won't freak any of the freshmen out. But um, anyway, like, what's your first reaction when you stub your toe? Ow. But then typically, what, what, what's the next, like, what's the motion? It's a hobble up and down, or it's, it's a, you know, grab it. Man, I, I didn't even think about this until I, like, hobbled right there. Um, but, but Enoch has a bed, my, our middle son, or our oldest son, but the middle child. Um, but I, uh, I, like, stroked my pinky toe the other day in his bedroom and almost said lots of dirty words. But, um, I mean, like, I really almost, like, thought I broke it. And I, it hurts. Right? When you do something like that. And you, you, you typically grab it. You typically protect it. As a matter of fact, I, I've got um, a picture here that I'll share with you. Because some of you who've been around, you know Grayson. And Gray, well, Grayson was running around here. The awesome thing about Grayson running around is that this is him just like a few days older than 12 months ago. Um, this time last year, as we are getting ready to start the year, uh, actually we were with some of the leadership of Thrive and get a phone call. And he had had an accident at my mom's house, and he broke his femur. And so that middle picture is actually the largest bone in your body, right? The largest bone in his body at the time, two years old. Uh, and he, he broke his femur. Well, of course, <laughs> we take him to the hospital, right? Um, it, as a parent, it's just nothing prepares you for those moments. We didn't know, like when, I got to, when we got to him, we knew something was wrong. And Karen and I were just, we were afraid it was his back because he was sheet white, and you could tell he was hurt. Um, but we get him, we get him to the hospital and every time I turn the vehicle, he screams, you know, it's kind of, it's just, just a different scream for a, for a parent and a, a child. Like, you know, like something is bad wrong. And so like, we're praying on the way there, hoping that it's not his back or something. Um, and we get there and they actually tell us, they do some stuff, but anyway, they tell us that he's fractured his leg. So I, I didn't know this until not long ago, but <laughs> my, my daughter, Tessa, our oldest, um, she was asking me, like, Dad, how many bones have you broken? Um, I've had nine different breaks in different places or, or surgeries, whatever. So, like, when I hear the word fracture, I fractured my arm one time. Um, and I fractured a rib or two. Um, and so, a little bit accident prone. But, like, so, I know what a fracture is. When I heard fracture of the femur, I'm thinking, okay, he's got a crack in it, right? Um, I don't know if you, if you know that, but that middle picture right there, that's supposed to be one line. <laughs> that's not <laughs> what I would call a fracture. I mean, I, obviously the medical term is, and those of you who are uh, Michael, you kind of enter in nursing and that kind of stuff, right? Like, is, I mean, that's, is, that's, a, that's a fracture, right? Um, 
But I really think that the first group we went to, because we, we, it happened in Hot Springs and we took him to Children's in Little Rock. Um, and so I really think the people in Hot Springs did a really good job of sugarcoating it, doing the best to tell us the truth, but not fully explain to us what had happened. Um, because later on, when we are in Little Rock, it was to mine and Karen's shock, um, and they made him take an ambulance there. But um, it was to our shock that it was like, oh, no, 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 it's a, it's a break, you know, because your leg bone's supposed to be straight, and his was like this, um, splintered spiral fracture down the left femur. Now, like I said, wounds, they're interesting, right? Because, and of course with a two-year-old, because we were trying to do everything we could to take care of that young boy, right? And we want him to be able to do what he's doing right now. You know, you guys heard him earlier. Karen had to, had to leave with him because uh, they're running around screaming, playing. Everything's great. That's awesome. But was he open at all to us trying to help him with his leg? I was going to say that night, but it lasted much longer than that. Um, the answer to that is absolutely not. Absolutely not. You began to get anywhere close to that leg, and he was screaming. And it was another thing that was just terribly sad because we had to take about three different x-rays. had to take one in Hot Springs, had to take one when we got to Little Rock, and then had to take one later on in Little Rock. That kid rolls by an x-ray room right now, and he loses his mind. We had to get some dental work done not long ago. It was an x-ray. Lost it. Because what they had to do is, and I don't know if any of you who've had a, you know, a large break like that, what happens with it is your muscles begin to react and tighten up. And so before long, his leg was like this. Well, that's not a good position for an x-ray. And so what they had to do is straighten it back out and put it in contraction to make sure that it would stay straight so that they could take pictures of it right and so that it would ultimately heal correctly, right? That's extremely painful because, the, that, as you can tell in the picture, that leg bone's no longer attached into there. So every time you do that, that, that bone moves a little. If you can just think about the inside of two bones rubbing together, not pleasant. So why don't I even share that story with you? And it's, you know, it's pitiful. He was in a full body cast and, yeah, full body, right? Some of you remember that. Wounds, they... Like, in order to take care of them most of the time, they have to be exposed. And, and oftentimes that, that exposing causes pain, right? So not only do we have the, the trauma or the issue or the, the whatever, the, the actual action that happened to cause pain, but, but oftentimes even right. Like, I don't know if you remember as a kid or, or even recently, you, you have a scraped knee or you get a cut, right? What do you have to do? What's the, what's the right protocol? Clean that thing out. Why? Because that's the thing that helps it heal the best. You don't get infection. You let that get nasty. You let a bunch of stuff get inside of it, and, and you got a bigger problem. So you've got to clean it out. Well, spiritually, it's very similar. We have wounds, and we have scars. We have things that, that happen to us. And it's oftentimes, it's, it's painful in dealing with it. On the same sense, any of you who've ever gone through anything similar, the best thing for it is to allow the healing process to take place. You've got you've to address it. You've got to let it open 
and allow the physician to do their work. And in this case, it meant that he had to straighten his leg. They had to put a cast around him. He had to wear it for a remarkable only four weeks. That still blows my mind that it only took that long. But um, four weeks in there and then, you know, about a month or so of therapy and working on it after the, on the backside of it. And then here we are a year later and he's, he's running, right? And some of you, you've had some injuries where it's taken surgery um, or, or you've had some type of uh, casting or something like that that's happened. So you know how that works. But also, I would bet, dear bet, that almost every single one of us in here, you've got some things that maybe even people don't see or they don't know. Maybe some of your closest family members or friends, they know about it, but some things that have happened to you kind of on the inside. That you've got some, some wounds and you've got some difficulties that go on that other people, you just, they don't know about. And what I want to encourage you is that that at some point in time, you're going to have to allow those things to be exposed and deal with them. I would dare say for a lot of us that if we don't deal with them at some point in time, they will be exposed. And so I'd encourage you to be able to open up and allow those things to be worked on. I would even say this too, that, I mean, you guys know this, it is our, where we're at as a society in a country right now. Man, it is difficult. It's, in many cases, it's, it's wild. And so what's, like, what, what needs to happen to us, not only on an individual level, but even as collectively, as a community or a society, oftentimes is that, that we need to deal with the issue or deal with the wound. And at the base of it, and, and I know there's all kinds of, side things that we could begin to address, but at the base of it, it takes us to a scripture in Ephesians 2 to where Paul's going to begin writing. And Paul writes this, and, and, and really kind of the way he puts it right here is it's Paul tries to help us understand, or tries to help the people in Ephesians um, there in Ephesus, that he tries to help them understand what their root and real problem is. And what I would dare say is that it's still our problem today. But I can promise you this, that even though we have a great, great problem, God's radical grace is the answer to the problem. But I want to back up and let's look at it here. In Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience of your many sins. And man, when, when we look at this, I don't, I, there again, this is maybe a passage that you've looked at many, many times for some of you. Uh, if you've grown up around church, this is, this is a, it's a strong set of, a set of verses. It is a, man, it's, it's, a, it's one that's very core to the Christian faith. Now in the New Testament, Jesus has come. He's, told, he's a story. Paul was an apostle. He's going out and he's preaching to different people and he's writing these letters to different churches in different places. And this one's to Ephesus. And he's addressing these people. And what he's, he's trying to get them to understand is once you were dead, in, in a different, in a different um, uh, translation, it says, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, right? What in the world does that mean? Because like I said, many of you, you've heard it, but have you stopped to think about it? Because years ago when I began to think about this and, and, and look at it and even heard other people teach on it, but like this idea that when he says you were once dead, I don't know if because it's in the Bible for years I could just kind of gloss over that and keep on reading or because I, you know, maybe you read on later and you kind of know the positive side of this. But, but he starts off with something in a word that's very, very strong when he says you were dead. 
Like, no hope. And, and, and for many of you, you understand, know, like, the original language, not the English. And if you look back to the original language, like, what does that word mean that he uses right there? It means, like, like you've let the last breath is gone. Like, like it's over, it's finished. There, there's no hope. It, it's not like you've, someone's laid out, they've coded, and maybe we can do CPR and bring them back. Or, but, but no, it's over. It's time to call it. That's, that's the kind of word that Paul uses right here. And then he, turn, he keeps on going. And he says that, he says, in your disobedience of many sins, or your trespasses and sins, like I said, in some, uh, in some languages. And so even right there, it's this idea that, that the trespasses and sins, like you've wandered off and you've missed the mark. So, so you've gone, you've gone off the path, and you, you kept on going. You, you, you didn't get there. And he says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, disobeying, or obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And so he continues on by going it this way. He says, by our very nature, we were subjects to God's anger. So there's even a lot right there. And, and one of the things that I, I kind of like about um, that passage, even the way that Paul writes it, and I've got a different set of, um, a, a different uh, even translation I want to read to you here in just a second. But, but even right here where he, he goes into it, he says, he says, once you were dead, and then he's, he's even telling them, like, you used to live in sin. You used to live this way. And then I love when he even flips it around as you come down just a little bit further. When he comes back and he says that, that we, right? You used to live this way and you used to follow these things. But then he kind of, he, he throws that, but we, by the very nature, we were subjects to God's anger. We, we did it. And so, in other words, just to kind of even bring everybody into it together. Like, do you understand who you were is what he's trying to get across to him. You used to do whatever you wanted to do. You used to kind of go the way that you wanted to. Matter of fact, you knew which way to go and you chose not to. This is an extremely important piece for us to grab a hold of when we're trying to follow after God. I don't know where, where you land or, or for those of you, some of you, you, like I said, you've grown up around it. But I need you not to forget that when he says, like, you were dead in your trespasses, you didn't have a shot, you didn't have a chance, that, that, that he's talking to you and me. He's talking to people like us. We're like, no, not, not even, nothing, nothing good there. You need to understand that. And then he even, he even moves on to this. When he says it this way, because like there he gives a, a, an opportunity to kind of say, hey, look, here's our problem. But then he also turns around and he's got an answer for us. And the answer, when he kind of turns around, is, is this in verse 4. It says, but God is so rich in mercy that he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. 
He came toward us. In the midst of everything else, He came. He didn't just leave us at arm's distance, whether you're the perpetrator or the victim. He came after us in the midst of that. And He says, For He raised us from the dead alongside of Christ, seated us in the heavenly realms because, of unite, and because we were united with Christ. So God can point us to the future ages and examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all that He has done for us who are united in Christ. And so He takes this idea even of like people who were once far off, and you're going to use them like, like he says that like you are agents of wrath. That idea of like, like, you, like you did things that were disgusting. You did things that were filthy. You did things that, like, that were so far against God. But yet God who is rich in mercy, who loved us so much, who he moved, for, moved toward us, saving us, and then in turn is going to say, hey, look, I'm going, to, I'm going to use the things that were once deserved wrath. I'm going to use that to actually give honor and glory, to be an emblem of mercy. When I think about like that idea, like, wait a second, like objects of wrath, right? Um, we think back to the, the, the piece in Jeremiah. When it's like, God, like, like it's easy kind of maybe even to read back in history and to read some of the different things that were going on with some of these people and to think about, like, okay, yeah, they served here, they, they had pagan worship. And for any of you who, like, if you kind of even get into some of that historical context about just how wicked some of those people were and some of the things that they worshipped, some of the ways they worshipped, man, it, you, you begin to understand, like, no, wait, that was really perverted or that was really... Like, that had some deep, like, deep, deep stuff in it. You begin to study, like, like Moab, or you begin, to, you begin to see how, like, different tribes or different people, like, they would sacrifice their children in order to win a battle. Like, they thought that would appease the gods. So we'll take our firstborn, we'll light this huge fire, and then we'll throw them in there. And you begin to realize, like, wait a second, that's, that is so far from worship what we would consider like what we did earlier, right? Where we're like, hey, look, we're going to honor God by singing these songs. And these other kind of like, we're going to honor God by tossing Tessa into a fire. Or I guess it would be Enoch. Um, middle child problems again. Um, anyway, so just, I mean, but, but to begin thinking like, that is so far from one another, right? But then we begin to think about like, wait a second, when I, when I said like, hey, look, maybe that's even us. And what does that look like for us? When he says, you were once far off. You were dead in your trespass. You didn't have a chance either. And then you begin to think about, maybe, well, I don't know. We begin to think about like our society. And I've got a slide up here, Justin, that it talks about like within our society, like even be just, like we could go and pick on all kinds of things, right? But even just these two little statistics about like abortion or pornography. Then it doesn't take long when either one of those to just begin to looking at like, wow, you could start you could start saying some things like Jeremiah said. When you begin to dig into that, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like looking at stats on either one of these subjects. Because when I begin to think about like the United States is the number one, uh, our number one export as a country is pornography. 
You don't find that in business magazines very often. You know, we want to talk about crude oil or other things. But the number one dollar money maker in the United States is pornography. And, and when you begin to think about, like, how many people have been aborted, regardless of how you feel about, like, women's rights or, or the infant right, or, it doesn't really matter. Like, at the end of the day, like, I, I understand it's not a simple issue. But people have died. And in some form or fashion, like that society and generationally, and we begin to even thinking about like modern day slavery, or I mean, there's all kinds of things we could begin to look at. But as you begin to look at it, there's no doubt that you can think about like how Jeremiah begins to think about his nation during that time frame. And for God to look at us, and, and what basically what that's saying is like, like, look, I cannot, God, from God's perspective, I cannot look at them and be okay with this. I cannot look at the sin that is within your heart. I cannot look at who they are and just act like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. That's kind of why I brought up the story about like Hosea, for instance. That was one of the first times that I remember just thinking about because I grew up in it, you know, where, where, hey, look, you know, it's a big deal, and, and hey, God forgives us, and God takes care of us, and God loves us, and all of those things are true. We're going to look at that here in just a second, how, what that looks like, but, but to think that God just kind of picks up the rug and sweeps it underneath and, eh, not that big of a deal. That's not true, and that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. That's not what it looks like. But what it does look like is that God, even though we were objects of wrath, even though we deserved the punishment, even though you deserve it, God says, I'm, I'm going to take what was wicked and I'm going to use it as an emblem of mercy. And then we come to a verse right here in verse 8. Chapter 2, and it says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. I really like to read that kind of in the ESV. Um, it's probably the one that I, I memorized the best a um, long, long time ago. But it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. So, grace. This idea of unmerited Something you didn't earn, which is what Paul's been building up to this entire chapter. That, that you, didn't, you didn't get this, like he didn't come to us because we were pretty. As a matter of fact, Paul makes it very clear, right? We were dead in our trespasses sins. We, weren't, we, we didn't have it together. You weren't perfect. You were objects of wrath. And then, and then but he, he came close because of who he is, not because of what we've done. And it says that for by grace, so through the grace the unmerited gift, the unmerited favor, the thing that you didn't, you and I didn't deserve through faith, which Dom's going to spend a lot of time next week talking about this, this idea of what is faith. It's something as freshmen and freshmen small group in the spring, usually we do kind of a leadership um, small group, and, and I try to do a little bit of a deeper dive with, with our freshmen. And that's usually one of the first questions I ask is, what is faith? And I love to hear kind of what people's responses are. Because it's very interesting. 
especially for those of you who've grown up in church. Because I, I, love, I, I love and laugh sometimes at like that idea that like for many of you, I understand, it's hard for you to define what is faith without using Christianese, right? <laughs> for you to begin to try to explain, well, what does it look like? What is it? But I, and I'll tell you this, I, without giving you too many definitions other than you ought to go look at Hebrews 11.1, 1, give you a really good definition of faith. But faith, faith is where it gets personal in this text. The grace, the radical grace that God has given us at some point in time has to switch from just being like a history lesson from us just looking at an old book written to an old society to now you have been saved by grace through faith. Faith is where it gets personal. Faith is where you need to begin to look at the cross and Jesus Christ and you begin to think, because of me. Not just because of sin in general, although that's true. Not just because of sin of humanity, all past and present and future. That's true there, but, but in this piece where it becomes very, very personal. And the reason why is because when it becomes personal, then it'll become transformational. But I would dare say that it's going to be, it's probably not going to be transformational to you until it gets personal. Until you at some level begin to think about Jesus gave himself up, God sent his son to die for me. And, the, and, and what was paid for and what the gift that was given through grace was for me. It was because, because of me, because of my sin, that Jesus had to go to the cross. Because of my sin, my shame, my guilt, he went there. And at some level, form or fashion, you got to begin to internalize that. And I feel like the danger sometimes for those of you who've grown up around it is that it's all been good stories and, 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 you know, and maybe you've even seen it displayed in some really good ways by some great mentors. But at some point in time, it has to hit home for you. That Jesus died for you and your sin. And so that's something we're going to take away from tonight is what does that look like? What does that mean? What does it mean for you to kind of begin to internalize and look at what it look for, for Jesus to have died for you? And this is not of your own doing, right? Just kind of repeat that. What is grace? It's not something you did. It's not because of you. It's unmerited. It's a gift of God, not a result of works there again, so that no one can boast Oh, look what I have done, right? And then he even turns around and he turns this into verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know what that's about? That is about like when it becomes personal and it becomes transformational. And, and on the inside first, when, it, when God has done a work in you, then now you turn around and do a work in the outward toward other people. Right? 
the transformation has taken place on the inside and therefore it happens to spill over. And for those of you who are sitting around like, man, I am struggling. I don't, you know, I don't even know. I don't, like, it's not, it's hard for me to love other people. Well, I don't mean necessarily to cause you to question your salvation, but then again, maybe I do. When it's difficult for us to love other people, and I'll tell you this, either one, you never got it in the first place, and it's never really become personal to you, or, and I do sympathize with you because I've been there too, where I'm struggling. And maybe you have temporarily forgotten the fact. And I think that these people here had temporarily forgotten. That's why Paul is writing to them, trying to remind them, trying to let them know, hey, look, what takes place, what took place at the cross is supposed to change you from the inside. When it changes you from the inside, it's going to change the people on the outside. And what I love about this text even too, and we're not going to spend a long time, I want to wrap it up pretty quick. But what I love about this and, and kind of your homework walking out of here is that most of the time we shut the message down right there. And, and, and it's about the grace of God through faith, and it's very good. But the cool part about this is that these little headings, I don't know if, you, if you're looking in your Bible or maybe even you're looking in your app or something like that, and it has a, it ha, what's, somebody, somebody shout it out real quick. Like, what's the next heading before the next verse? What is it? Unity in Christ. Anybody got a different one? One in Christ, unity in Christ, whatever, right? Those little headings and even chapters and that kind of stuff, that's a relatively modern thing. And what I mean by that is Paul didn't stop, take a break, pop his fingers, go get a drink, eat something, five days later come back and write the next text. He didn't do that. The conversation continues. And what continues actually is very interesting because, and like I said, I'm not going to roll through every bit of this, but it says, therefore, remember that in, in, in like the same breath, because of Jesus Christ, you've been given a gift that you didn't deserve. You didn't work for it. It's not so anything. And so that something can happen on the inside so that it can happen on the outside. And because of the outside, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands. And I'm reading now to the ESV, I switch places, and I'll switch back. Anyway, in those days you were living a part of Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ. Now, he's talking about something that is there again, an age-old thing that gets a little awkward and a little weird, right? This idea of circumcision. All of you been through health class, you understand what that is. It's an interesting thing. I, I still don't understand, like, why is it that? Why did we use that? Uh, why does that have to be the thing that for all the time we reference back to? But I tell you what, in principle, that it meant. This is this idea that, hey, look, some of us are special people. And others are not. And we are the people who are chosen by God. And we are the people who got it together and we've got it figured out. 
and you guys are lesser. And Paul says, not anymore. There's no such thing. Because of the cross of Jesus and because of what has happened on the inside, what has happened on the outside is everyone is brought together. And as you begin to continue to read, he's going to continue to make that understandable. That there shouldn't be no such thing as a Jew and a Greek. Someone who's once was far and once was close. And just, just, just let's remember, some, some of you guys, you were once far off. You need to understand how awesome it is that we're all together. But ultimately what the cross does is it brings races and socioeconomics and all those kind of things. It brings those together because at the end of the day, the people who used to be enemies, the people who used to supposed to keep, stay apart, are now considered brothers and sisters. In Christ. Once we're enemies, now should be considered families. That's a big deal. That's huge. And so what I want to leave you with is this idea, right, that wounds, oftentimes they have to be exposed in order to be dealt with. And the answer to that and kind of a, at a root issue is the grace that Jesus has given you. And it's where we kind of kick off this semester. And we may talk about several different things. And, and for some of you guys, that, that this is the beginning of kind of our relationship, that we're going to get an opportunity to, to walk with you during this season of life, you need to understand that, that, that grace, the unmerited gift of God through Jesus Christ, and it changes everything. It can change everything. And for some of you, it needs to get personal. Because you need to understand that God loved you so much, that He was so rich in mercy, that Christ gave His life for you in order that you might be right before God. In order that, that the sin that you're guilty of could be wiped away and handled and done away with. And that's a game changer. And for some of you, you've grown up around it, and you've heard it before, and I know that's kind of what we deal with on our campus. We're in the Bible Belt. Most, most of you, not all of you, but, but, but a lot of you, like you, you've, and, and a lot of you've got people who you're close to, that it's real familiar. And I want to ask you, is it personal? Because I know you're familiar with the story, but is it personal? If it's not, it needs to be. And you need to begin to think about that. If you've got more questions, man, feel free to ask Dom or I. We'd love to talk with you. Grab a friend and, and begin to talk about it. And if it is, and if it does become personal, then it ought to become transformational and cause us to love others. In a way that's radical because the grace that God has shown you makes no sense at all. So the kind of love that you should be showing some of the, your dorm mates, some of the people that are in your one class that you have, I know it's odd, right? And for, for some of us, man, that, that's what this semester is going to look like, is that we're going to have to get uncomfortable 
whether that means talking to people that you don't really know well, um, that you don't get to see that often, or whether that means trying to be creative and, and, and it's an online video game and you're going to begin having conversations or, or it's an online class and you're going to begin having conversations with people. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'll be honest, I don't. I don't know what it's going to look like from us, from this perspective. Tonight, we weren't planning on being here. Um, well, here we are. You know, we got confirmation. I mean, we, we knew that it might rain. But then the other side of it was that the university did not want us to meet tonight on the lawn. We, we didn't get all the paperwork filled out. And so I, I don't know what that will look like. But what I, what I do know is that because of what Jesus has done for us and through us, it ought to cause a little bit of motivation within us to try to figure it out. I also believe this, that at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, 23, that you are brilliant. Don't sell yourself short. And, and, and you have the opportunity to try to figure it out. What does it look like for the honor and glory of, of God during this stage of your life? Let me pray for you, and then we'll let Dom come back up here. God, I want to thank you so very much for the opportunity for us to be together. God, uh, there's probably never been another time period when we can say with pretty easy and clarity that, that it's very possible for us not to have been together. God, which sometimes seems odd. God, I don't know what's in front of us. God, where all um, is going to take us and, and lead us this semester. But Father, I pray that you would, um, God, I pray that you'd be with this crew. God, for those who are trying to figure it out, God, that maybe it's not the faith in you. God, the accepting of the grace that you extend to us. God, that, that it hasn't, hadn't really hit personal yet. Father, I, I pray that they'll just continue to ask questions. And God, that it would your spirit would just continue to, to work in and on them. God, for those who it is personal, God, I pray that um, you would help them understand that, that that transformation should pour out into others. And so, God, I pray that you would just kind of open up our eyes and open up our minds for those who need hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.